Uh, let's pray, and then let's uh, dig into uh, God's Word, shall we? Uh, Father God, we thank you for this time as we now gather as your people uh, to look at your word. Uh, Father, we pray that you may teach us tonight, uh, but more than teach us, we pray, Lord, that you may change us by your spirit and that you help us to obey you. Uh, Lord, we have a tendency to listen, but we don't necessarily have a tendency to obey. And so, Father, please be with us tonight and to help us obey our Lord and Savior Jesus, if he is. And if he's not our Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that you may be working through people's hearts and drawing them to yourself and to the good news of the gospel. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, do you find um, obedience difficult? Do you find obeying certain rules you know, a bit tricky, a bit challenging? He's someone who likes to rebel, you know, someone who likes to be a little bit naughty. You know, like maybe give you an example. Are you someone who, as soon as someone gives you a rule, all of a sudden you're tempted to want to break it? So maybe you're not interested in cookies and then someone says you can't have one and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, how do I get that cookie? Or, or maybe when you're driving and it says 60 kilometers an hour and then all of a sudden you're like, well, I just want to do 61, 62 or 63 kilometers an hour. Or maybe when you play Monopoly, I'm guessing most of us have played Monopoly, when you have to pass go and collect only $200, are you ever tempted to want to collect maybe $300 or $400. You know, when you come across a silly rule, are you tempted to rebel a little bit? You know, even I think of, uh, um, there used to be a sign on that door as you entered that said, thank you for not eating or drinking in the auditorium. I want to be honest with you, I rebelled against that a little bit, and I would eat and drink in here on occasion by myself and feel so, you know, naughty. You know, I wonder if you do things like this as well. And my guess is, is that you struggle at times to follow rules because you're human. Uh, I see this in my kids in particular. Uh, I have three children, as most of you know. Uh, I have little uh, Lily, who's uh, only three months old. She will never do anything wrong, uh, so I don't see it in her. Uh, she is perfect. Um, but my, my two boys, they're not so perfect, if I'm honest. Uh, my, my youngest boy, Isaac, who I love dearly, is going through this fra- uh, phase where uh, if he gets annoyed, he just starts punching, and he goes for the face too. He's a bit brutal. Uh, he's only three, uh, but he's got to learn etiquette a little bit. Um, and then my oldest son, Elijah, has also been rebelling a little bit, and, and I find this really difficult. Uh, and the main reason why I find it difficult is because everyone says that he's just like me. And I'm just like, that's not cool. I'm like, he's like me. He's got my looks. He's got my dance moves. You know, he's got my height. But disobedience, man, that comes from Emma's side, from my wife's side of the family, right? That's, that's not so much from me. Uh, but he can go through uh, periods where he wants to rebel. And at times, he can do so in an illogical way. Like, let me give you an example. Uh, the other day, we we're getting ready for dinner, and I was saying to the boys, hey, boys, can you just, um, you know, pack up the trains and, and ready for dinner? And um, I said to Eli, please, I asked him like five times. And then eventually I thought, okay, I've got to motivate him somehow. And so I said to him, hey, look, if you, if you pack up the toys now, then after dinner, I'll give you a Milky Way chocolate. Okay, I'll give you Milky Way. But if you don't pack away the toys right now, I'm going to give you a timeout. Now, not the chocolate type of timeout, but, you know, like you, you count to 100 in your room. And uh, he looked at me, and this is a clear, obvious choice, right? He looked at me with his face, and he just threw the toys everywhere, just out of pure rebellion. And then I'm just like, all right, go have a time out. I'll eat your Milky Way. You know, but the thing is, is that he's not the only one that does that. At times, we do this, don't we? We just make illogical decisions, and we can find obedience quite difficult because there's part of us that wants to rebel. There's part of us that wants to rebel. And at times, I think we rebel because we think we know what's best, if you're a Christian at times, you maybe don't trust that God's way is the right way. Or maybe if you're a non-Christian and you find the gospel appealing, but you sort of see the fact that it comes with you seeing Jesus as your Lord, and you're a bit like, yeah, but I think I know the best way to live, and so 
I think I'm going to let that go. That doesn't look like a joyful way to live. Well, tonight we're going to be looking at a passage from Luke's gospel. And basically, the passage is about obedience. And the passage is trying to answer the question of why should we obey Jesus? Why should we obey Jesus? And I think it's no coincidence that Jesus talks about this on back of last week's sermon. If you weren't here last week, Jesus called us to love our enemies, to love our enemies. And that can be a tough thing to obey. And so here, Jesus spends a lot of time, because he's a great preacher, I think the best preacher of all time, to be honest, even better than Mark Roberts. And um, I think Jesus spends a lot of time here in his conclusion, because he knows that we're stubborn. And he knows we don't like to change. And so for that reason, Jesus is going to do his absolute best to give us multiple images and metaphors and reasoning to say, hey, you should obey me. You should obey me. And I don't know about you, I'm really thankful for that. Because if I was Jesus, I would have been like, you should obey me because I'm God. The end. But Jesus knows the human heart better than me. And he knows that if he wants to see lifelong obedience, then he needs to grab our attention, grab our imagination. And so that's what he's going to do tonight as we look through Luke chapter 6, verse 39 to 49. And what we're going to see here as Jesus talks about obedience is he actually wants us as we approach this topic to almost have like a health checkup. And what I mean by that is he wants us to do a checkup on our eyes. He wants us to do a checkup on our hearts. And he wants us to do a checkup on our ears when it comes to obedience. You'll see what I mean in a moment. And so let's dig into this text and let's uh, read out verses 39 to 42 again. And let's see the relationship between obedience and the eyes. Jesus says this, it should come up on the screen. He, that's Jesus, also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So let's chat through this passage. Uh, In verse 39, Jesus basically gives the shortest parable in the Bible. And it's really quite simple, right? The parable goes like this. If there's a blind person following another blind person, they're going to fall into a pit. It's pretty simple, right? I don't need to draw a diagram for you. I, I don't need to make it clear for you. It makes sense, right? There's a reason why blind people don't have blind seeing eye dogs. If someone who's blind follows someone else's blind, trouble will happen and you'll fall into a pit. Now, when Jesus says pit here, what he means here is like a mammoth pit, right? Like imagine like a humongous hole. Don't think of like a little pothole, you know, just trip over and they laugh and get back up. No, no, no. When a blind person follows another blind person, trouble happens. Trouble happens. Now, we get that. We're like, okay, cool. All right, all right, that sounds good, Jesus. But what's this got to do with anything? Well, in verse 40, Jesus then talks about the relationship between a student and a teacher. And they're linked to the passage beforehand about blindness. You see, maybe you've heard the saying, like, father, like son. And you can see that in my children. Uh, but I'm guessing maybe you've also heard the saying, like, teacher, like student. Because you see, what happens is when you follow someone who's your teacher and you listen to them, you become like them. And Jesus is saying, Be careful. Because if you follow a blind teacher, then you yourself will be blind and you yourself will fall into a pit. And so Jesus warns us of blindness. But maybe you're wondering, well, what's what's that got to do, though, with the next part that follows, which is Jesus' famous saying about the plank in the eye and the the sawdust in your eye? 
Well, uh, yesterday I was having a shower and unfortunately I got some soap in my eye. I don't know if you've ever done that. Uh, I got this huge block of blob of soap in my eye. It was a bad one. And uh, I just knew that it was going to be a bad day. And actually for the rest of the day and even today a little bit, I just couldn't see properly. And this was really painful. And, and my guess is, is you probably had a little bit of sawdust in your eye before or a little bit of dust. And when it's happened, you found it really difficult to see. Well, I want you to imagine having a plank in your eye and how difficult it would be to see and how painful that would be. And I also want you to understand that when uh, it says plank here, what they mean is not like a two by four. What they mean is like a beam that upholds like a house, like a house loading beam. Or in other words, like a telegraph pole, right? There's a huge contrast here between this massive piece of wood and this tiny speck of dust. And I can guarantee you that such a piece of wood would blind you. You see, what Jesus is trying to warn us here is be aware of people who are blinded by their hypocrisy. Be aware of teachers who lead you down a blind path when they themselves cannot see, but they claim to. Beware of hypocrisy. Now let's talk about this word hypocrite. Um, In the Greek, uh, the word for hypocrite is hypocrite. Uh, So there's no like translation there. We just steal it directly uh, as an English language. Um, Now the word hypocrite was also used back uh, 2,000 years ago uh, in Greek language to uh, explain an actor. Now I know what most of you are thinking, ah, I get it, all actors are hypocrites. Well, no... But all people who are, uh, 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 sorry, all people who are acting though or pretending to be hypocrites are actors. So what I mean by that is that was when you pretend to be a hypocrite, you're pretending to be someone who you're not. You're putting a mask on. And matter of fact, acting 2,000 years ago, that's what they would do. And so, for example, if you were to play a joyful part, you'd put on a joyful mask with some of a big smile on their face. If you were to play someone who's grieving, you'd put on a grieving mask. That's what acting was. You'd put on a mask. And obviously, acting's evolved over the years. But there's a similar principle that remains in regards to what is good acting. You see, a good actor is able to separate the part from their heart. The part from their heart. And so, for example, if they're in a really good mood and they have to play a scene where they've got to be crying in tears because, I don't know, their, their actor, their person they're playing has been, I don't know, cheated on or something, then they cry and they do a really good job of expressing that. They're, they're really gifted actors are able to separate the part from the heart. You know, when I think of my favorite actors, you know, like Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, you know, they do this great. They're just gifted actors who are able to do this so well. You see, acting actually is a gift from God. It's, it's a form of art that, you know, God gives to us that, you know, we can use for good. But actually, acting in many ways, though, is horrific and is really terrible and bad for you when you do it off the stage. When you do it in your life. When you put up this mask and not be who you are. Because such acting is, of course, hypocrisy. And what Jesus says in this parable is basically that such hypocrisy is ludicrous. Like, I, like, I wonder if you're picking up on this, like, like how insane this situation is. Like some guy, he's got a telegraph pole in his eye, thinks that he can go and do eye surgery on his brother who's got a tiny speck in his eye. It's just insane. It's just dumb. And so is hypocrisy. I think as Australians, uh, we relate to this because we don't like hypocrites. We really don't. We don't like hypocrites in our politicians, in our sporting stars, and in, in religious people too. You know, maybe you can think of Barnaby Joyce, you know, who recently was proclaiming family values while also committing an affair on his wife. We don't like hypocrites. We really don't. And so when we come across this teaching of Jesus, we go, yeah, go get them, Jesus. Get those hypocrites. And we don't actually think that, well, maybe actually we are hypocrites as well. 
You see, I want if you notice here that uh, when Jesus talks about the blind people, he talks about them in third person. But when he talks about hypocrites, he gets personal. And he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Uh, as you, I've, already mentioned, I've already mentioned, I have children. Uh, unfortunately, I mention them a lot tonight. But uh, uh, we were going through last week um, the teaching from Love Your Enemies, and we're going through Luke's booklet, which some of you may have. Uh, and in there, I was trying to explain to my kids that, you know, if someone's mean to you, try and love them in return and try and love your enemies. Uh, and after we did that teaching, almost directly after that, uh, Elijah started to spit his food out onto the table. And so I said to him, I said, Elijah, stop spitting your food out. Put it in, put it in your mouth. And then he turned to me and said, Dad... Love your enemies. And I'm like, all right, how do I explain this one and, you know, figure it out? You know, that's a bit jovial. But the reality is, is my guess is that you're the same here. That there's been times where you've realized your hypocrisy. You know, maybe it's been when you're gossiping about someone who's gossiping about you. Or maybe you're whinging about someone who's a bit whingy. You're being negative about someone who's negative. You know, my guess is, is that all of us have come across moments in our life where we're like, ooh, actually, we're a bit of a hypocrite. Personally, I think it's probably the biggest insult that you could uh, say to me if you really want to hurt me is to call me a hypocrite. Uh, that would break me. I would find that really personal. And my guess is, though, is that I'm not the only person that does struggle with, struggle with hypocrisy. My guess is that most of us here put on a mask, pretending to be someone who we're not, pretending to be okay when realities we're not, trying to hide that humongous plank in our eye, trying to divert attention and try and point out everyone else's problems and the specs in theirs. We, we all do this. We all put on a mask and try and pretend like we have life together and try and point out everyone else who doesn't. And I think we do this as a protection mechanism because we think hey, if people see the real me, man, that would be traumatic for everyone involved. And so the best thing I can do for my joy and for other people is I'll just put on this mask, I'll just, I'll just try and cover up that huge plank, and just everything will be okay. Well, Jesus says no. Jesus says you're being blinded by your hypocrisy, and that you're on a pathway to a pit of destruction, that it is not good for you at all. It is not good for you all, and it prevents you from obeying Jesus. Because here's the thing, right? If you've got this mask on that everything is okay, then you're not going to be vulnerable and you're not going to ask for help and say, you know what, I'm really struggling with this and I need your help, both to God and to his people. And then on top of that, you're not going to be able to help other people as well because it looks like you've got your life all together. And so church, how can we obey Jesus? Well, we need to do an eye inspection and we need to remove the planks from our eyes. We need to repent of our sin. We need to fall on our knees before our glorious God and say, please help me. I am broken and I need you. Not only do we need to be vulnerable with our Lord, but we need to be vulnerable with one another. Making it clear that we all have our own planks that we are dealing with and trying to repent of. And what we do is we don't follow any blind teachers, but we follow Jesus who sees clearly. Because he has no planks in his eyes or sin at all, does he? And so we follow him. And so church, can, can I say this, that I, I love our church to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. I love it to be a place where we don't need to pretend, where we don't need to put on a mask, where we don't need to smile when in reality we're broken inside and we've got issues. That we actually do call out to help one another and ask for prayer and ask for God's guidance through his word. And that we try not to be blind hypocrites. In particular, I wonder if you notice in this parable how Jesus doesn't say, if you're a hypocrite, then just remove your plank and don't worry about anyone else. No, he says, hey, remove your plank and then go help out your brother and sister. But how can we do that, though, unless we're open about what's going on in our life? 
Because I don't know about you, but if, if I'm having marriage issues, I want to talk to someone who I know has had marriage issues and has gotten through that. I don't want to talk to someone who looks like their life is absolutely perfect because that doesn't make me want to talk to them at all. You see, vulnerability helps one another and it helps one another to point us to Christ Jesus. And so church, if you're someone here tonight, you're like, you know, well, Joel, you know, I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm quite a private person. I don't like people knowing the mess in my life. That's who I am. I would actually challenge you and say, maybe actually you haven't understood the gospel and understood that we are all broken people and we're not trying to put on a facade like we've got life together. No, we have a perfect savior and that's who we worship and follow and we'll be vulnerable for the sake of glorifying his name and helping one another. And so church, let's do an eye inspection. Let's do an eye inspection. But secondly, if we want to obey Jesus, we not only have to have clear eyes, we also have to have good hearts. And so let's keep on reading. And look at what Jesus says in verse 43 to 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Uh, some of you know this, but before I became a pastor, I was a civil engineer, uh, and I was very fortunate to work on Seacliff Bridge. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. It's that big S-like bridge. It's up near Colcliffe, really famous here in the Illawarra. Uh, I got to work on it for many months, and it was a great place to work, great view, and it was just a cool place to tell people that I was working on. Uh, but unfortunately, there was one project that I had to do uh, on this bridge site, which I just hated. And what I had to do is I had to remove lantana. Now, if you don't know what lantana is, it's basically the devil in weed form. Um, it's just this ridiculous plant that just grows like nothing else. And it's actually quite toxic uh, to, I think, some different types of cattle. It's just a, it's a plant that everyone in Australia hates. You see, unfortunately, some genius in 1841 brought it over from South America, thinking it'd be a good idea, and was completely wrong. And so as a result, farmers and, and just engineers and, and people in, in general hate lantana. Um, and actually, matter of fact, I think around about $20 million a year is spent just trying to get rid of this weed. It is just a terrible weed. And you'll see it everywhere if you spot it, even in Unidera featuring around here. And so when I think of Lantana, ugh, I get angry. I get angry. All right. But then a few weeks ago, I went to a wedding. And it was a lovely wedding, a Beck and Joe's wedding. And uh, they, had, uh, some, uh, they had the reception at a vineyard and still grapes everywhere. And you're even able just to go up and pick the grapes and eat them as you walked into the reception. And it was just so lovely. It was just so nice. Like, I don't know about you, but every time I like, come across a fruit tree and I can just eat the fruit or pick the grapes, I'm just so happy. And I'm just like, I'm just like life is awesome. And I always just say to Emma, hey, Emma, we should plant a fruit tree. You know, we should plant a grapevine or whatever it is. And she's like, yeah, yeah, good idea. But it takes like a few years for it actually to produce anything. I'm like, oh, all right, we'll still go to Woolies and get fruit. But when I think of fruit trees, I'm like, oh. But when I think of um, lantana, man, I get angry. Now, in this passage, what Jesus is saying is quite a simple uh, point. What he's saying is that trees are known by their fruit. Okay, so the reason why we call a mango tree a mango tree is because it produces these golden, beautiful things called mangoes. And the reason why we call lantana the devil is because it doesn't, and it produces this weed that is noxious and not helpful. And you know, it's similar for human beings as well, that as humans, we are known by our fruit. If we want to be someone who is a good person, well, then we need to have a good heart that speaks good things and does good. But if we're going to be a bad person, then we'll have a bad heart that does bad things and says bad things. And so when it comes to the topic of obedience, I think the point that Jesus is really trying to make here is that the heart is where it all begins. 
You see, just like a fruit tree has, you know, deep roots and an ecosystem that, you know, enables it to grow, when it comes to us, if we want to bear good fruit, then our heart, not this, it can't be evil, but instead it needs to be good. And it needs to be focused on Christ Jesus. And that is really important when it comes to the topic of obedience and following Jesus. You see, maybe tonight you're not a follower of Jesus, but you've heard some of his teaching and you thought, you know, that's quite wise. That's quite helpful. I'm going to try and implement that in my life. You can go ahead and maybe you'll learn a few lessons. But to be honest with you, you're going to find it really difficult. In particular, you're going to find it really difficult to love your enemies. Unless you have a heart that beats like Jesus. Unless you have a new heart that is like his. And actually, the Bible promises that if you put your faith in Jesus, that you'll be born again, you'll be regenerated, and you'll be given a new heart with new desires to want to follow Jesus as your King and as your Lord. And so if you're not a Christian here tonight, I encourage you, if you you find Jesus appealing, put your faith in Him and repent of your sin. And if you are a Christian here tonight, can I encourage you to renew your heart and your affections for Christ Jesus? Because if you want to be able to obey him, your heart needs to beat like his. Your heart needs to be focusing on him and treasuring him. And so if your heart is distracted by other things in this world, if your heart is distracted by your career, by relationships, and you don't really love God at all, then you're going to really struggle to obey Jesus and to love our enemies just like he calls us to, for example. Or to speak well of people. This week in particular, the verse that really convicted me was that final one where it says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to complain and to whinge. Uh, and when I do so, uh, be it by myself or to my wife or someone else, you know, afterwards I just feel like rubbish. And I just feel like, why, why, did, I, why did I whinge about that? Why did I complain about that? Like, like, what is going on? And quite clearly, it's my heart. Whether or not my heart is in a good place with Christ and knowing who He is. In particular, when it comes to whinging about other people, Christ calls me to love them, but I want to whinge. And so is my heart focus on Jesus. It's something for us to think about. Maybe you're here and you're, that's someone you don't, you don't, you don't struggle with that at all. Uh, but I want to be honest with you and I want to make an observation in our church is I find most people are really good at being critics. They're experts at that, but they're really amateurs when it comes to encouragement. I wonder if you're like that. I wonder if it's something you to think about, well, where's your heart at? Is it beating like Jesus is beating to love people and to speak well of them? And so church, we've got to watch our heart. If we want to obey Jesus, we need to watch our heart. In particular, if you're married as well, I want to encourage you to watch your heart. Because your heart can get really uh, hardened when you're in a relationship with someone else and they can frustrate you. And it's really tempting for you to have a hard heart and just to be cold towards them and not warm at all. But it's not just for married people, it's for all of us in relationships with other people. Jesus goes on and on about the heart. And so if we want to treasure him, then we've got to do that and do so with a soft heart and one that is repentful of our sin. And for some of you here tonight, by the way, I just want to encourage you as well. Some of you here are maybe like, Joel, look, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying my best to obey Jesus, but there's just some like, things in my life which are just taking time. Can I encourage you to keep on persevering? Can I encourage you that fruit does take a time to produce sometimes and to keep on going? And so if you ask someone who struggles with your words, then keep on reflecting your heart and doing your best to follow Jesus and obey him. Church, if we want to obey Christ, we need to have a heart that beats like his. We need to do a heart inspection. But more than that, we also need to inspect our ears. Let me read to us verses 46 to 49. Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. 
When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Um, recently, I read an article on Sydney Morning Herald online. I don't buy paper, but I you know, read it. Um, and it had this article about this house in North Richmond, this mansion of a place that had a time capsule in it. And they, they, this time capsule was 125 years old. And these people found out that it was there somehow. And so they dug down underneath the house's foundation. They found this glass bottle. They broke that, but that doesn't really matter. And then what they found in this time capsule is actually an article from Sydney Morning Herald that was 125 years old. And they also found something like 88 different coins and also an article that explained how the, the house was built and who lived there and, and, and different things. And I was reading this and I was like, man, that's fascinating. That's really interesting. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I could build a time capsule and put it at my place at Unendera, which is on Brick Piers, which is an old housing commission house. And, you know, I wonder if people would be interested in 100 years' time to go have a look there and see if they find my time capsule. Now, obviously they won't because people wouldn't expect my house to be around in 100 years, most likely. But this building, this mansion that was built, they knew that it was going to last, because it was built on stone. It was built on a firm foundation. And you see, Jesus here is using two images to talk about people who listen to Jesus and follow him. They're like that big mansion that's built on a firm foundation. When to- storms come, when water comes, it will be fine. And then there's other people who listen to Jesus' words, but don't obey him, and they're more like a dodgy house with no foundation that will be, will be wiped away when storms come. You see, Jesus had a problem in his day, and I think it's the same problem today, of people who call him Lord, who claim to follow him, but don't obey him. Who have ears that listen, but not ears that obey. You know what? I think we can do the same thing. And uh, it's quite frustrating, isn't it? Uh, when people listen to you or don't obey you. Um, if you're a parent, you have kids, you would have come across that. Or if you're a boss in a workplace and you've asked people to do things, you would have seen that. If you're a school teacher in particular, you would ask students to do different things and they're nodding, or, yes, miss, yep, sure, and not do what you ask them to do. It's quite frustrating. How often do we have ears that listen but not ears that obey? You see, church, God is not impressed by us coming to church on a Sunday, nodding our head, writing notes and listening to his word, but having no intention of obeying it. See, Jesus, if, you want, if he's your Lord and Savior, then you need to understand that he wants you to obey him. That he doesn't want to make smarter sinners, but he wants to make people who are like Christ. And so may we seek towards not being like these people who have foolish foundations. But may we obey Jesus. I love the book of James, and we studied it last year. And in the book of James in particular, I love the metaphor that James uses about people who listen to the word of God, but don't go ahead and apply it. He talks about it's like a person who looks in a mirror, and uh, sees maybe like a humongous booger coming out of their nose, or maybe, you know, like some makeup that's swiped, or maybe some chili sauce on their cheek, and looks at the mirror and does nothing about it and just walks away. And how foolish that is. Church, may we look in a spiritual mirror tonight and ask ourselves, is there any parts in our life where we're like, nah, Jesus, you don't have full control over that. I'm not going to obey you there. Are there any boogers that we need to remove, so to speak? And we need to expect our ears as to whether or not, not only do they listen, but do they obey. You see, this whole section of Scripture is about self-examination. Jesus doesn't want you to look at other people. He wants to look at yourself. He wants you to do introspection. He wants you to ask yourself the question, do I obey Jesus in all areas of my life? 
And uh, what I find really interesting here in this passage is how, you know, Jesus uses two different types of motivations here to get us to obey him. Firstly, he uses uh, the stick method. Maybe you've used that before. You know, he tells us what's going to happen if you don't obey him. He talks about if you don't obey him, you're going to be blinded. You're going to fall into a pit. You're going to follow the wrong teacher. If you don't obey him, you're going to have this huge plank in your eye and you're going to be a hypocrite. If you don't obey him, you're going to be a bad tree that bears bad fruit with a bad heart. If you don't obey him, you're going to be that dodgy house that is going to be taken away by a storm or wind or water that comes. He, he uses the stick, but then he also dangles the carrots, doesn't he? And he says, well, what happens if you do obey him? And how if you do obey him, you will follow the perfect teacher. You avoid blindness and hypocrisy. You'll be able to help others with their speck in their eyes. You'll be a fruitful tree that bears good fruit with a good heart. And you'll be a solid house on a firm foundation. And so at the start... I said this passage is about obedience. And I guess the big question is, why should we obey Jesus? Why should we obey Jesus? And the big answer I've got for you is a sentence that I've probably said to you a million and one times before. And the sentence is this, is because there is joy in obedience. Because there's joy in obedience. You see, church, I hope we never forget this lesson. Because it's a lesson that God has been trying to teach his people from the beginning of time. You know, you think of Adam and Eve and God's trying to teach them that there's joy and obedience if you follow him, but they reject him. God continues to do that to his people with Abraham and then with David. And then he tries to do it as well with Israel before that. And he's trying to teach them, hey, look, if you, if you follow me, if you listen to me, I'll bless you. I'll give you this land of milk and honey. I'll be your God. I'll protect you. I'll look after you. But if you worship other nations or worship other gods, if you disobey me, there's not going to be blessings, but there's going to be curses. There's going to be punishments. See, God's constantly trying to teach this lesson to his people. And you know what? The glorious thing, though, is being people who are on this side of the cross 2,000 years later, is that when we do disobey, Jesus takes it. You see, that is the glorious news of the gospel, isn't it? That our hypocrisy... Our sin, our bad fruit is taken by Jesus at the cross. That he dies for our sin, for our rebellion. That he takes it on our behalf so that we can be forgiven, so we can have eternal life, so we can be born again by faith in him. But more than that, he then gives us a new heart, new ears, new eyes, new motivation to follow him and the Holy Spirit to empower us to do this. What a gracious and amazing God. So that even if we do fail, we can pick ourselves up again by his power and continue to try and follow him. You see, church, our God wants us to obey him because there is joy in obedience. And look, I don't have any specific commands for you tonight. I made the sermon a bit tricky to preach on. But my guess is, is that each of us here have got specific things that God is pushing on our hearts to obey him. It could be a sin that you need to kill. It could be an addiction that you need to get rid of. It could be a conversation that you need to have. It could be some issue in your life that you know that God's Spirit has been pressing on your heart and God is saying to you, there's joy in obedience. There's joy in obedience. And even if it's costly, remember Christ Jesus and how he went to the cross, enduring it, knowing the joy set before him. And so may we do the same. May we listen and may we obey. How about I pray to close? Father God, we thank you so much that you are a gracious and loving God who loves us so abundantly, loves us so much that you sent Christ to die for us whilst we were your enemies. We thank you so much for that incredible love. Lord, I pray that you help us to see our sin clearly so that we may see our Savior who is so beautiful. Help us, Lord, to not just listen and see, but help us to obey. 
Help us to have eyes, Lord, that have been cleared by our hypocrisy. Help us to have hearts that have been transformed by Jesus and are focused on him. And help us to have ears that only listen but also obey. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his fame. Amen. Um, Please stand with us.